0: Amen. There are, of course, many reasons that folks opt out of participation in the faith community. Uh, Of course, a beautiful morning like this would be one reason to not come to worship to do something else instead. But um, the reasons are some of these. There's the natural protest that goes something like this. If, If God is real and God is good, then why is there so much suffering in the world? And then there are those parts of the Christian faith that seem unbelievable, like Jesus himself being raised from the dead, which becomes, for many, the ultimate deal-breaker for those who need proof. And the miracles that we read about in the Bible, like this one from Luke's Gospel, did that really happen? Or if it did really happen, then why doesn't it happen that way anymore? That's a question you often get from young people? Why doesn't it happen to those stricken with the beast of cancer among so many other things? There's a couple of ways to respond to these questions in light of this particular text from Luke and this particular miracle of Jesus. And one is to not debate the miracle. Did it happen or not? But just let the story be to let go of our need for proof, and then to wonder about a more important question, and that is, what is Jesus up to? What is his motivation? What is he actually doing? And what do his actions tell us about him as the Son of God? Jesus does not attend the funeral, to simply pay his respects. He's not there to be nice or to be a good neighbor. No, Jesus brings disruption. He comes and stands in the gap between death and life and then pulls the dead back to the other side. By doing this, he not only brings back the dead man, he brings back the dead man's mother as well. You see, to be a widow in the first century was to be entirely dependent on your son if you were fortunate enough to have one. This woman's only son has died. And without him, she has not only lost her value, there is no man Uh, with whom for her to be associated any longer. But she has also completely lost her means of survival. Without a son, she quickly becomes the poorest of the poor, a beggar on the street. So Jesus restores not just a single life, but an entire family. Jesus cannot let this double tragedy pass him by. He is filled with compassion, and his compassion moves him to react, to intervene. It doesn't say that he stopped and thought about it. He just did it. What this tells us about Jesus is that he is never, never a mere spectator. Even when he's watching or listening, He's fully participating. Here, he reacts to suffering. And it starts with compassion that leads to decisive action. Unlike Jesus, who always seems to be successful reacting for us mortals, reacting for us mere mortals, often has consequences, doesn't it? I remember a conversation with my grandpa and my mom back in the 1970s when I was a teenager. We were sitting at my grandparents' kitchen table in their little little house in Hopkins. My grandpa was telling us about being mugged in downtown Minneapolis the previous week. He worked at Dayton's, and on his way to his car, someone stuck a gun to his head. We were shocked, but it only got worse. He told us how he reacted. He turned and started screaming at the assailant and told him to run. Knowing my grandpa, I can only imagine the expletives that accompanied that command to run. My mother was absolutely mortified she turned to me and said something like, don't you ever do such a stupid thing. I remember another time when I reacted to something. It was a much less dangerous situation, but the outcome was far from clear when I made my move. I was jogging in our sleepy neighborhood on the west side of Des Moines. And as I got close to Kalanan Middle School, I saw a large group of kids standing in a circle. They were shouting. And I knew exactly what was going on. Even as a teenager, I despised schoolyard fights. Not so much because of the fighting, as much as because of the spectators egging them on. So I ran into the middle of the circle and thankfully the two sixth grade boys were small enough that I could take one under each arm as I sent the mob running. Maybe they thought I was a cop. Maybe I shouldn't have grabbed the boys. But they started to cry and told me they were friends and that they really didn't want to fight, but the other kids made them. In this case, first I reacted Then I had compassion. We can all tell stories about reacting. How and why we did what we did in a particular situation. Sometimes they turn out badly. Sometimes they turn out okay. And sometimes we just get lucky. So we know what Jesus felt like, at least a little bit, even if his reactions have a way better likelihood of success than ours do. Another way to respond to the story is to ask, so how does God continue this kind of work in our world? And what does it have to do with us? When Jesus left the earth, when he ascended, and then the Spirit came, God's work, led by the Spirit, was handed over to his followers and eventually to communities of faith that make up the church. Communities like this one. Don't get me wrong, God is still present and still at work, but God is at work through us as we live as Jesus' followers. And, of course, God's work is being done in various ways beyond communities of faith as well. The challenge, of course, is to find ways to respond, sometimes with a well-crafted plan, sometimes with a quick reaction, to respond to the incredible suffering in us, around us, and beyond us. Healing doesn't happen the way it did in the first century, but it does happen, and we participate in it. We also participate in God's work of reconciliation, restoration, justice, and peace. I think about the incredible level of dissatisfaction with our political process, and now especially this disturbing presidential election election that we are watching? How do we participate in God's work of reconciliation and peace in the midst midst of such nastiness and such embarrassment? Listen to what people around the world are saying about our country right now. How do we respond to the fear and anger which is often legitimate as expressed by people and their yearnings for a different way of life? How do we respond to the fear and anger, which is often legitimate, and then the childish bullying, insults, which are not legitimate at all, and certainly not an expression of leadership in the highest office? And here's the question that should agitate us tremendously in the days ahead. And I wish I had an answer to the question. How do we respond to what's happening in our country and in our world, without becoming mere spectators, like the mob watching the schoolyard fight. Some of those kids standing around the schoolyard fight watching are shouting and screaming and egging the candidate, excuse me, not candidates, fighters on. And some of them are standing there just watching in horror. Who's stopping it? We cannot do what Jesus does, but we we can faithfully and without fear of judgment do what we believe Jesus would lead us to do in this moment, to restore broken relationships, to work and pray for healing, and to redirect the hatred, anger, and fear that is all around us toward respectful, positive change. We may not be able to literally raise the dead, but as followers of the one who does raise the dead, we can bring hope in the midst of despair, peace in the midst of violence, and love in the face of hatred. And all this in response to God's compassion toward us and the world for which we keep giving thanks. Amen. Please stand.